Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, role as high fit. Compassion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton. And it's Jake Green. And yeah, we're really excited. We... You know, we, we are busy doing a lot of interviews with a lot of athletes from uh, Tokyo 2021. And uh, today on the show, we have an Olympic champion from one of the, the more memorable races at the regatta. Every race was memorable. But we've got an Olympic champion from the QE8, Michael Brake, sitting in the fourth seat. Lawrence, what a chat. Oh, man, what an episode. I mean, you guys have been uh, waiting patiently for us to to bring out some more episodes and wow we have a banger for you guys, uh, for you today because we had such a cool chat uh, with Michael Brake I mean he was an absolute legend gave us a huge chunk of his time and really I couldn't believe the knowledge uh, that he had and then also just to dig into the eight you know for New Zealand to to be Olympic champions in the eight is one of the most incredible stories of the games and you know it is so cool to dig into into it with uh, with someone that was in the crew. You know the decisions to why they made the the decision to go with the eight. The you know the um, the dynamics in the boat and yeah, and just how they they built the belief um, in the team to to go out and and win on the biggest day and the biggest stage they can. And Jake, what yeah, are your big takeaways for sure. And you know, just continuing what you were saying there. Um, you know, this New Zealand eight is. You know, for those who have watched a lot of rowing and have been following it for a number of years now, the, the evolution of this eight is, is started from, you know, when, you know, the, the under-23 Kiwi eight from like 2013. Like, you know, you still had uh, Tom Murray in there, Sean Kirkham in there, and then, you know, Michael Bray came into the picture in 2015 as a, as a young gun as well. So, you know, this is a, a cool thing because I feel like it's, a, it's you know, the almost the, the culmination of, of that under-23 eight coming onto the senior stage and then going through a couple of... Um, you know, changes to get to, to 2021. And chatting to Michael, it was great because you really got a sense of like the journey that um, the eight had been on and the journey that a lot of the, the athletes in the crew had been on. And it was a real memorable regatta. And uh, it was, for me, it was a case where it was a crew that had shown glimpses of, of brilliance from time to time. And, you know, chatting to Michael, you, you got a sense of that. And finally, everything came together but i mean and and i mean michael raced in the pair most of this olympiad you know when we spoke in our, in our episode with noel donaldson we spoke and you know it was all about how um you know how good that pair was and how impressed he was with that pair and you know they finished uh, second in in 2019 which you know i mean they must have had big belief that they could go and win a medal and and even the and and even chase hard the sinkovich's with a gold medal in the men's pair and you know to make that decision to to switch to the eight was I think just incredible, and the the foresight of uh, of Team New Zealand is really something special. And you know, New Zealand winning the medal table, you know, coming away with those three gold medals, and yeah, I mean, what an incredible team to be a part of. And I think that really came across in our chat with them today, and it was superb. So yeah. I know that you guys are going to enjoy it, hundred percent. And you know, we we've we've been speaking about how the Olympics, we got to see 
uh, the athletes and um, you know the racing that gets affected by you know how how's COVID affecting the racing? And I think uh, you know Michael talks about it in the episode like you know they they really did take it in their stride. And I think New Zealanders you know if you think about it on the map you know geographically speaking they had a huge advantage for the rest of the world um, through COVID's time. And it was awesome to hear how you know. He used that, you know. He he used that advantage, you know, and an opportunity, you and know, for his benefit. It, that's it's, it's such an interesting thing because you know, as we're doing these episodes, we're interviewing more and more people. We're realizing the different effect that COVID had on different people. You know, like it seems like it's just a global, you know, one-off thing. But I think every country is going to have very unique experiences and challenges that they had um, through COVID. And yeah, I mean, and also it's just so cool to chat about another Olympic Games. You know, we've dissected Rio we've dissected London you know to the nth degree with so many athletes and now we have a whole new set of racing a whole new a whole new generation Olympic kind of glory and and Olympic standards to to compare to and talk to so absolutely awesome and you guys are gonna really like absolutely this love it some housekeeping a huge shout out to our patrons you guys are absolute legends and yeah thanks so much for the support it really means a huge amount for for me and jake it allows us to carry on the show you know and and to take it to that uh the next level and our patreon group has been incredible over the games you there was a lot of conversation on it you know about different racing different days and i really brought a different aspect to to tokyo and to the racing you know uh even for myself you know just being more into rowing and, and more aware of so many different crews and you know different people racing mm. you know when i watch the racing it just brings so much more value because i'm not only looking at to see who's winning i'm also looking at where these people that we've interviewed these amazing athletes are finishing even further down the the field so i thought a whole new dynamic and and really really awesome and yeah just a big shout out to to patrons and then of course uh you know if you you guys can go you know follow us on on instagram go follow us on social media please get in contact with lawrence and i we always enjoy the contacts. If you're interested in the Patreon page, you can go have a look at that. Um, and then also just leave us a review if you can on any platform you are on because that always helps with the algorithm and gets our show out there. But yeah, The best yeah. thing you can do is tell a friend about it. Tell someone that you, that you know will enjoy the show that is not necessarily listening. Share it. Get uh, more people interested in the row show so we can just grow it that little bit uh, each episode. Mm. So yeah. Huge shout out, and I think that's enough of us talking some smack. Yeah, enjoy the show. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another epic interview on the Row Show. And today we are joined by Olympic gold medalist Michael Brake. Michael, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Yeah, cheers, Jake. Good to be here. Good to good to finally get out of our isolation and and chat with people. Yeah, no, I'm sure the you know the the isolation was not easy. Um, and yeah, we sh- we should you know it's COVID has been an interesting factor that's played into you know the preparation for all athletes that have gone through to Tokyo. So you know that's a natural that's a natural starting point. And obviously, you are you know relatively fresh off your your medal win from um, medal win from Tokyo. And um, yeah, I'm just interested to you know listen to. You know, just straight off the bat, listen to your nice. thoughts about your, you know, your racing um, in Tokyo, and maybe just like you know that experience of of racing in the final, having such a dominant third five hundred, which is actually quite a uh, not something that most people do in the eights, getting out and 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 actually taking it in the third five hundred. They usually they you know the the races are done and dusted in the one k. So 
just interested to hear your thoughts about that that race straight off the bat um and what an experience yeah, yeah. so like you just said you just talked about covid right briefly um and obviously that has just had such a big impact on everyone um but i think that covid really was something that the kiwi crews were able to took, take an advantage from and you know whether that was just mental you know just psychological or whether it was physiological as well like i i guess we'll probably never know but we went into those games so confident that we just had had the luckiest run into the games out of all of the countries and you know in saying that it was lucky we had just you know we, we were training on lake carapero we were away from lake carapero for one month in early 2020 we had a, a i think it was a five-week lockdown and for the first five weeks yeah for the five weeks we were locked down we couldn't row but for you know the rest of of the olympiad we had or the rest of you know the global covid pandemic we were able to to train on carapero and we were clocking up k's we were getting fitter and fitter and we were consistent in the way that we progressed through which I don't think that that many countries would have the the luxury of being able to say that they had that. Mm. And so when we got to Tokyo, you know, amongst other things that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, we were confident that we'd done the hard yards and that we were ready. And I mean, that's an, a huge advantage. I mean, that's, I don't think there are any other countries who had that little time away from, uh, from training, from their training venue and, you know, I think there were, and there were a lot of un, unforeseen problems as well. Like even for us, we had our, whilst we were away, whilst we were in our lockdown period, our dam had like all this, uh, like weed grow on it, you know, without, because no one was looking after the yeah. dam, no one was mm. there. So we got back, we, once we could grow <laughs> oh, again, then we couldn't even use our dam. We had to travel to, to other water to, to get on the, on the water. So, you know, that is, I think just by itself is a, is a huge advantage and what was the talk like in the in the team going in going through that period? Was it very much like cool? We got um, you know like sport. We always say it's not very fair. You know, it's you got to take your wins when you get them. You got to you know take every advantage that you can get. So was that kind of the the view in uh, Team New Zealand to like cool? We've got a, a good opportunity here to you know get up on on the our opposition and and let's just do the the good training. One hundred percent. There was there was a strong element of that, and that we knew that if anyone was going to have it good, we would have it good. Um, and and we didn't know what many of the other countries, excuse me, were doing, but we knew that we likely had a, the best shot. And that was kind of the the global team vibe throughout the whole um, twenty twenty what would have been season. As a squad, with our men's sweep squad, we, we sat down, we had some really good critical discussions at the start of the, uh, the 2021 season. And one of the discussions that we had was about not getting caught up on whether or not the Olympics would go ahead because we recognized nice and early that COVID was going to be a thing that was, was going to roll through in waves. It would have good periods, it would have bad periods, there would be chat about the Olympics not going ahead. And we didn't want to be in a position heading into the games where news like that could compromise our mindset. And so really early, we, you know, we talked about it and we said, 
you know, it's going to sound cheesy, but we need to fall in love with the process. And this process is a message that everyone talks about in rowing. But, yes. you know, now more than ever, we were like, we just need to need to really get into the process and enjoy that and specifically enjoy the fact that if it doesn't go ahead, well, then for a year, what we did is we got to spend time with our mates, paid, keeping fit and strong and healthy and engaging in an exciting challenge of making that boat go as fast as possible every single day. And honestly, just by acknowledging that and having that mindset, all of the news and adversity that we faced, we were so much more relaxed and comfortable to roll with the punches. Mm. And there were so many things that we had to go through. Like it's a, it's a unique story. We had to go through, you know, for starters, it's it's a pandemic. There's a global crisis at the moment. Everyone at the Olympics has that story to tell. But then, you know, our crew in particular, we had to go through the, the FOQR, the, the qualification regarding yeah. Lucerne, which for us leaving New Zealand for starters was pretty daunting. Yeah, we were I in a place imagine. where Yeah, we're in a place where no one wears masks. Yeah. Like how strange is that to the rest of the world right now? And Very we strange. haven't really since since the start. Like we you know, we before we went overseas, we we implemented a, a whole lot of um, you know, protocols that we would practice so that when we got into Lucerne for the final qualification regatta we would be well prepared for it. So one of those was mask wearing. We're not used to wearing masks here. And yeah. we would we wore masks for a month before we left New Zealand to go over to Lucerne. And the amount of looks that we got going through the supermarket wearing masks, people just like, they look at us like we've got COVID and we're like, we're protecting ourselves and practicing for ourselves from you guys. Like we're not sick, but yeah. no one knew any differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was interesting. So I think it's going to be such a perfect time to ask the the burning question, you know, the the one that that all the the listeners have been dying to 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 know, and that is, how did the choice to go for the eight come about? Because you know, when we when it was announced, you know, there was a lot of it was a big surprise. I think to to everyone that kind of, I mean, even me and Jake said like the the balls kind of of New Zealand rowing to to kind of yeah. commit to the <laughs> double eight. down. And age, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, yeah. it is, it's, it's the dream story. You know, you come away with the win, but I mean, how did that choice kind of come around and, and how does, how were those decisions made? Cause yeah. I mean, those were, there must've been big decisions to, you know, take you guys out of the pair, you know, you're already a, a, a serious medal contender and, you know, then to, to commit to a boat that, that New Zealand hasn't won for, I don't know if they've ever won the eight. No, a long time. I think it was. We last Michael, won it in 72. Yeah. yeah. 1972. 72, the guys won it, and they had a good push in 84. Um, but 72 was the last time, so it was the first time in 49 years that the Kiwis had won the eight. Um, but yeah, as you as you were saying, um, it, it, it really, it, it wasn't just a snap decision, as I'm sure yes. you can imagine. Yeah, um, a, a lot went into that decision, but... The main factor, which I'm sure you can guess, was the Hamish Bond factor. Mm. He he was the one that, that got the pieces together. He got the kindling. He he started the fire. And it was really from there that a whole lot of things fell into place. And it 
at, at the point in time that we were selected for the eight, for Tom and I, it was our best shot at a gold medal. Mm. Um, I guess where it started was, so we we trialed, we did internal trials for Tokyo Olympics 2020 and at the start of 2020. And Tom and I raced Hamish Bond and James Lash and the pair at the North Island Champs. And that, that tends to double up as our selection regatta for small boats at least. It's kind of a, you know, if crews have been performing all season, then, and they've performed at like the World Champs prior, then that North Island Champs regatta typically is like, you know, if you can confirm here that you are the best, you'll typically be pre-selected. Um, and, and that's that's just for small boats that you know see no changes across a season. It's not for big boats. We have a full trial process for that. But we were selected for that pair because we went up against Bondi and James, and we we managed to beat them, which you know we were we were stoked with. We were like we're in we're tracking well here. We're in we're in a really good place, and we were the fittest we'd ever been. We felt strong. The boat was moving nicely. We were in a really good place for a legitimate, an actual 2020 Tokyo to go ahead and then COVID hit. And we, yeah, I guess we lost a lot of momentum after that um, because no one knew what was happening. And, and this was, you know, that experience was part of what made us decide that we had to have that focus that we talked about just a second ago. Mm. Uh, we were like, we can't afford to go through this again. We need to find something else so that was why we chose yeah and that was why we had that focus but as far as the eight went so yeah we we got through our lockdown and we came out and all of the sweep guys so tom and myself and the previous men's eight and you know reserves from 2019 and and just our wider squad it was about 13 people i think Mm. at about 13 14 people and we came back and we said screw it we're gonna row singles for three months um well we didn't say three months we went to our coach and said hey we'd like to try singles for a little while and he came back and said man you're doing three months and we're like excuse me (laughs) we're doing how long in singles as sweepers who half of us hadn't sculled much at all um and so we did that and like that was where our momentum really started building we we had one of our younger guys come in and uh, we had a few standouts, but this young guy, uh, it was Tom McIntosh. He he wasn't in the eight for 2019, and we ha- he he had some some impressive performances. Like we do other random stuff throughout the season. Yeah. One of the things that we do is you know we we sometimes do cycling races, um, and he had stepped up and he was smashing people on that. Like he was keeping up with Bondi and. You know, you know, Bondi has yeah. a history in cycling. So on the, on the cycling, fun, yeah. yeah. On the cycling, yeah. no one's touching Bond. Exactly. No one from cycling, you know, people from cycling NZ struggle with Bondi over, over endurance stuff. And, and this young guy was keeping up with him. And we're like, jeez. And, and he carried his momentum into the single and he just went so hard, man. He <laughs> he, uh, he started by challenging me in the single and, and after a while he surpassed me. Um, yeah, I'm okay in a single but i'm not great and he surpassed me he quickly moved through he was our top ranked men's sweeper in the single um arguably arguably it was between him and tom murray tom murray the guys in the pair with he's he's freaking handy in the single as well and yeah this this guy he just he just was smashing it he was like consistently top 
you know, he was second or third out of all of our men in the single, and that included the scholars. And he took that momentum into the men's sweep program. And he's quite a critical thinker, that guy. He's, he was one of the ones that was initiating these, these chats I was talking about. And he, he talked a lot about, you know, and how we approach our training and how he approaches it and how he believed that we could do it. And it was really odd because this is a guy who, you know, I hope he, <laughs> if he listens to this, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he didn't have much behind him at that point. And he just had mm. so much conviction in what he was doing that he, he quite quickly became one of the leaders of the squad. And, yeah. and he brought so much faith in the process that we had. And, you know, the idea that you just turn up and you just get stuck into training and you just pick something and you attack it. And that was one of our three key things that the squad across our off season really got stuck into. Um, and from there, like, you know, events unfold, things happen, injuries happen, um, all sorts happen across a year. Like anyone knows that. Yeah. And when we got around to trials, um, Tom and I just, the pair, the pair just wasn't clicking. And we'd been in the eight a wee bit because we'd been rowing as a squad. And the eight was going really freaking good. Like, we we weren't coming up against our women's eight prognostically, not not quite. We were still at 1% to 2% off most of the time. But, you mean, you know, to us, our women's eight's gold medal standard. Yeah. And at the time of the pandemic, when you're not traveling, they're all we had. We were yeah. comparing ourselves to the women's eight all the time. We were we were getting close to them, and we're like, man, like this actually feels really good, you know. And we were taking people out and swapping people around, and the rhythm that we had in the eight was was remaining. So you know, I, I would credit that to a lot of our single sculling work, like the the rhythm and and boat feel that you get in a single. It carries over to other boats. Like if you're in a single and it's going slow, there's no one else yes. you can blame. Yeah, it's no you. one else. <clears throat> It's actually, I was going to be, I was going to ask about it because, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people we've spoken to, they, they do, they spend a lot of their early time each season in the, in the single. And, you know, there's always different takeaways. Like, what are you, what are you trying to achieve by rowing the single for your, for the eight or for the, the, the bigger boats? And yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the onus, the responsibility on yourself to, to take, uh, control of the boat because there's no one else to, to lean on. Mm. 100% man and when a single goes well it goes well because you're rowing well yeah like you can look at it in the way like I just said like if it's going slow you're the one to blame but if it's going well you are the one making it go well so you learn really quickly what makes a boat go well and like you just said like you know you're doing it for a four you're doing it for an eight it carries over and that's probably the main thing that made the eight, made the eight click and you know we eventually reached a point where um, Tom and I were like, yeah, Hamish admittedly had, had beaten us a couple of times in the pair. And so we were a bit demoralized from that. Um, but we also recognized that, you know, the eight was just a really good shot at a gold medal. Um, the way the pair had been going, you know, we, we were in a good spot to attack for a medal, but those Croatians are so good, man. Yeah, really, really Martin, good. Martin, Martin and Valent are next level, and, and they're great guys to boat. We've, we've had some good times with them overseas um, during racing and after racing. They're, they're, Definitely. They're, they're class act. Yeah. Um, so so but, then, 
on those yeah. on kind of where the, the conversation is going uh the next the next thing i want to know is like what's the dynamic what is the dynamic especially like now once you'd spend some time in the eight what is the dynamic between everyone because you're saying thomas uh, mcintosh the bowman uh, one of the young guys starting to to be a leader in the boat and obviously you have hamish who's got all you know all that experience and uh and knowledge and, and so what is the dynamic between everyone in the boat and you know the coach and and the cox and mm. and how is how are things going in the in the boat it's really interesting dynamic. Um, from the get-go, we always had excitement in the boat because we recognised a that stacking the eight was, you know, it was a big deal. Disbanding the pair to stack the eight that was a big deal. So when you we were like, okay, you know, this is this is <laughs> we've got to make this thing work for starters. Yeah. But yeah, secondly, it, it had been going well for quite a while. Come trials. Uh, we'd been rowing on it two, three times a week, and it had just been going well. The as far as the dynamic went, the general vibe of the boat was built on excitement. I would say it was built on excitement and knowing we had an opportunity to do something amazing. As far as the roles went, like it was, there was a lot of respect amongst the crew. I, I wouldn't say that the crew were all best mates. Like we all got on, um, but it wasn't like nine. You know, best mates from school getting together. They've been rowing for the last mm. ten yes. years, and they're gonna and they're gonna jump in the A. It was it was a diverse group. We had you know the youngest guy was was Dan Williamson from Yale at twenty one, and he had his twenty first birthday during that Olympic campaign. And then the oldest was obviously Hamish, who you know I I can't imagine anyone will be listening to this that doesn't know who Hamish is and and mm. and why they know him. Um, and everyone bought something different. Um, you know, just to rattle off a few, like Hamish, for starters, people would want to know about Hamish. He he leaves no stone unturned. Him and Tom Murray are very similar in that regard. They're just, both of those guys are looking for anything that can be not just improved on, but anything that can be trialed. Like, honestly, off the top of my head, the only thing we didn't trial was a boat with backriggers just because logistically that was too hard to try for us down in New Zealand. Um, but like we tried different oars. We tried every possible seating arrangement that you could think of for the eight. Like we had a bow stroke with a bow four tandem at one point with Bondi and I sitting in two and three. Like it, we tried everything. Um, those guys bought that. Bondi himself, he bought the knowledge, or he bought the um, the confidence that, if he said that what we were doing was enough, well, we were pretty confident that it was enough because yeah. that guy knows. Yeah, um, he might he might say otherwise that he was his ideas were challenged because um, I think they were. He he had to he had to change his thoughts a wee bit going from pair successful very successful pair to the eight. But you know when when Hamish Bond says it's going well, then it's it's probably going well. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And I, th- I think that's quite interesting because, you know, you, you've spoken about, you know, Thomas McIntosh, Dan Williams, um, and then also, of course, you know, Hamish now. And, you know, I find that it's it's quite interesting because, you know, this eight kind of, st- it, it the evolution of this eight is definitely from, you know, like 2013, 2014, when it was so dominant as under 23. So you can still see that DNA mm. in this eight. I mean, I know you weren't, you know, you came into the eight a little bit later in 2015, but you know, I mean, Sean Kirkham has literally been riding in that eight from the from the get go. So it's definitely, yeah. 
it's got that evolution from the under 23s and i you know i love to see you speak about how the young guys brought so much to to the eights and i think usually in those bigger boats well i mean i don't have much experience but i'm, I'm sure that it's like that's when the leadership in rowing comes the most when you have so many different moving parts and i often find you know the young guys they can often bring a conviction and an enthusiasm that sometimes you know experience you know that's a flip side i often find with experience you know experience makes you wiser but i think on the other side that just that motivation and that conviction that you get out of young guys fresh out of school you know they want to maybe get an olympic dreams where other people have already gone through that experience i think that can often be a boon and i, I can't help but look at your roster that you had in the eight and to me the almost you know the the, the youth of the eights to me in a way kind of like was almost this massive boon and then obviously on the flip side you have hamish who's got you know the one of the best the or the best row of all time and you know you have him in the boat and so it, it for me it seemed like a really interesting dynamic um in the eight especially yeah. from the young guys you you you're right about about that you're right about everything really um the young guys bought the enthusiasm and the enthusiasm was contagious like I found myself getting on board with it a lot, um, getting on board with their enthusiasm, and you know the yeah, you, you need to bring energy to it. You, no, you you're not going to see a single, there. yeah, you're not going to see a single scholar rowing down the course screaming, but you can do it in the eight, and it tends to get a positive result, mm. um, a positive return from from everyone else. Um, yeah, it, it, there were also just there were small things that that gave those younger guys a bit of power in being leaders as well though like dan williamson coming from from yale and having success in his varsity crews they had success in eights he was he was the only person in our eight who knew how to row an eight and win an eight mm. i mean you, you did have sean kirkham and tom murray who were in their under 23 eight and, and won under 23s back to back 13 and 14 um but that was seven years ago. That was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, <laughs> that that was seven years ago, and um, you know, the guy, you know, it's 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 it had been a turbulent journey, and and Dan came in to the eight from a successful eight, and he just there was yeah you know, he didn't he didn't put his opinion forward first often often it was um, Hamish or Tom McIntosh, or myself, or our cop Sam, that would have the first words in the debriefs. But there was quite a few times when Dan would pipe up and be like, yeah, this is something that we have done, and it works, and it works for eights. Um, and, you know, it's funny. You, you, you look at that race, and you look at Hamish in particular, the whole crew, but Hamish in particular, and it was just, we were just swinging on it. And mm. that was something early in the season. Dan had said, "This is what we need to do. This this works." And to a bunch of guys who had success in small boats and got, you know, had success being delicate to a boat, we we're like, "Nah, bro, that's not how you row at elite level." <laughs> and we tried rowing the eight delicately for so long, and you know, it was nice. We got good speed, but we were always one or two percent off where we needed to be. And it was once we, yeah, yeah, swinging on it was a big thing. Um, mm. And it was once we started doing that that, you know, we we're like, oh man, this actually works. And and Dan was like, I told you guys, <laughs> like, you know, it's a, so there, there wasn't a lack of, there wasn't a lack of 
confidence in those younger guys to also be leaders. And, yeah. you know, you got Matt McDonald. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what individual people's ERG scores were, but the dude's 22 years old and he is a monster on the ERG. Like, he will be one of those guys that if he if he carries on, especially on the trajectory he's on, he's going to be sub 40 at some point. Mm. That's impressive. That's like, cool. And, you know, talking about the technique of the eight, I don't know if you, you know, we just spoke to Adam Creek from Canada and like, that was definitely, you know, part of the discussion was just like the brutality of the the rowing stroke in the eight. Because if you watch the, you know, I'm sure you've watched a lot of rowing. If you watch the Canadian men's eight from 2000, um, 2008 in Beijing, you watch them <laughs> yeah. race yeah. and you're like, you know, there's, you can look at textbook growing, but then not to say that whatever they're doing isn't, you know, an elite level, but I mean, they are really, you can see the physicality that they're bringing to the eight and you could see, you know, you could definitely see the change in, you know, how you guys are rowing. Cause I mean, I've seen you row in the pair um, and there's like, it's such a big difference from rowing in the pair. Like you have to be so careful about the pair, about how you move a pair and like, you know, just the, you know, you, the body positions and, you know, the, the way you approach the catch whereas in eights, you just, like you said, you have to go out there and get it. And, and that swing, the physicality, you know, that makes a huge difference there. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You're right. You're so right. And it's funny that you bring up the Canadian eight because after our heat where the Netherlands beat us, um, honestly, the hardest race of the Olympics for us was our heat. Um, don't get me wrong, we were maxing out in the other races, but you know, because of how we're rowing, it was perceived to be easier. But you know, after our heat, we were like, that performance, the way that we rode, is not going to win us Olympic gold. And one of the things that we talked about, we had we had quite a few critical chats to try and turn it around without feeling like we were straying too far off what we knew to, to do. Um, and one of the, the, the references that we made was, was that Canadian eight and how much they're swinging on it. You know, they're iconic. They're absolutely mm -hmm. iconic. And, and we brought them up and Hamish brought them up and we, we talked about them a bit and we, we tied it into how we were rowing. And, and do you think that was like a little bit about the, you know, not having raced any of these international crews, you know, the, the, the hype of the games, the heat, uh, the, the, like mm -hmm. just that first race kind of getting it under your belt, getting that, kind of like, okay, that was okay, but we can, we, we know we got a better race in us and like allowing those nerves to calm down and, you know, seeing, or, and also seeing that you, you're in with the shot, you know, because I mean, you hadn't raced since 2019 or oh, I suppose you raced the qualification, but there wasn't any of these big crews there and knowing the that you, you, yeah. yeah, knowing that you're in there for a shot is maybe, maybe that um, you needed the heat to, to get through that. Yeah. You're 100% right. The, the heat was our, well, after the heat, going into that rep was our defining moment. That was our make or break. And yeah, Lucerne was, was different. Like we, you know, rightly or wrongly, we went into Lucerne quite confident, um, purely based off how our prognostic work had been going. Um, we went in there quite confident that we could win. And, you know, that, that, um, that remaining crew that we raced, they, you know, they get, they took it to us and they, they actually batted our confidence a bit because we're like, man, we, we thought we were, we, we thought we were in a really good place. Um, mm. And in hindsight, we still were. And, you know, that was just what happens when you come up against another really good crew. Like they're a class crew as well. They showed that at Euros. Um, but yeah, that turning it around um, was, was a hard, it was it was a difficult job 
I am um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I went back <laughs> no to worries, no worries. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> my bad. The um the so the the other question that we had about the eight was the over the years, and I don't know if this year was different, but it sounded like the kind of support for the eight was different. You had um let me just find his name. You had uh Sean Colgan like uh, supporting the eight uh financially, I think for a long time. And the eight always just seemed a little different to the the rest of the New Zealand team, whereas this this cycle this cycle maybe it looked more like it was a part of the team a little bit more. Like I don't know if there's um, Sean. Yeah, Sean's Sean's been with us for he's been with the team for quite a while now, um, and Sean is he's such a good guy. Um, he he is more than just a sponsor to the team. He like he he's a mentor in ways he he actually he catches up with us quite often he he comes in and we'll we'll put on a dinner and he'll come and join us and we'll get all of the the sweet men at least um for dinner and and, and chat with sean and, and he'll tell us stories like he used to row for the states and yeah coached el salvador at one point and you know he's he's no stranger to rowing mm. and also on top of that a very successful businessman and 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 just he just gets life. And we had a dinner two weeks before we went to Tokyo and he, he, he came in and, and it was funny. I was, it was at my place. We were having dinner. I was preparing it. And you know, when you're cooking for 12 people, 12 plus, you know, 15 people, it's, it's a little bit of an operation. Heavy, heavyweight athletes as well. Yeah. <laughs> heavyweight athletes as well. You know, it's for me doing a dinner like that is harder than doing a 2K egg. We'll put it that way. And, I'm preparing dinner and I just hear in, his, in this American accent, hey, Mike. And I look up and Sean's standing there in the kilt holding, holding two pheasants. That's <laughs> um, fantastic. He's, Where did you just uh, yeah, go, go out and, and, and shoot them just before you guys had he's, well, he's got a farm himself and so he, oh, yeah. he brought up the pheasants and we, we both have a, have a um, we both enjoy hunting ourselves. So yeah. he, he brought that in and like that's just his personality. He's such a such an awesome outgoing guy um and anyway at this dinner he he talked to us all and we we were just we typically just get together and and chat it's he doesn't come in to address us it's just dinner and a couple of glasses of wine and a chat and this was our last dinner before we went away to tokyo and he he's you know he he tapped his 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 fork against his or his, his, his knife against his glass and he said you know you know guys um i'm i'm not much of a speaker um and he opened with that and, and went on to deliver probably the most motivational speech i've ever heard and yeah. he said he said guys amongst other things he said guys you you're going to the olympics and you're trying to win a gold medal and and that's really cool he said look you know, whatever happens, I'm so proud of you guys. And the thing that you need to remember is that when you're going into race, the gold medal, you know, whether you get it or not, if you get a gold medal, it won't define you, but it will validate all of the training that you've done. So it's not defining, but it will validate the training. And the, the key thing that you need to remember is that when you come out of the games, win lose whatever you're going to be the same people and a gold medal is not something that you need it's just something that you want and you probably want it pretty badly at this point i he said that and 
and that just really stuck with us that the gold medal was something that we wanted not that we needed and the reason why he told us that is because he's like, you guys need to be loose. You need to be relaxed going into this race because the only thing that tension will bring is, you know, it's, it's going to be, and it's going to drag you away from how you, how you want to row. Mm. Tension will only give you negatives with the way that you row. He's like, you just, you need to be loose. He's like the Olympic final or, you know, the Olympics will bring out as much energy and hype as you need to race but what will help you is just being relaxed you want this you don't need this and we talked about that quite a lot once was the night before our race and you know, that is something for me that really sat at the front of my mind rowing up to the blocks i was like i don't need this i really freaking want it i really want yeah. it but i don't need it and like you can see in the starting blocks there was there was a scene it's on the recording for the race it, it zooms in on on tom murray and he's sitting behind me and and the dude's just sitting there grinning yeah <laughs> like he's he, he grins when he's nervous he's, he's got quite a few shots from when we wrote the pair and, and just everything and he's grinning but he's grinning and he, and he you know he shakes out his shoulders and he's just he just looks relaxed and that was one thing that we we really we really drilled was that we need to be relaxed. We want this. We don't need it. A gold medal will validate our efforts, but it will not define us as athletes. Yeah. Sure, that is so cool. That is such a an awesome story to be to kind of bring it in. And then, you know, talk us through that that race maybe a little bit. You know, you 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 came out, and you know, usually in the eight, it's the the crew that leads at the 500 is the the crew you're going to put the money on and you guys having that you know kind of classic kiwi move of of stamping the authority on the third 500 um what was it like in the in the boat and what was it like down the down the track also it wasn't easy conditions the the mm -hmm. whole week of um of tokyo so uh, how did that play into to the race as well yeah yeah you're right it wasn't easy conditions and there was so many upsets at the regatta. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the added tension of people having not raced internationally for quite a while or, or what it was. Like the course wasn't overly rough. There was one day where it was pretty rough, but you know, everyone remembers that day in Rio where there was that iconic shot of the single sculler with the wave over yeah. her boat. Like it never got that rough. I feel like um, the mistakes were coming from the, you know, at Rio it was like, it was so rough you could barely row. It was survival rowing, so you were making sure that you were being clean. Whereas at Tokyo, it was fast, and like when it's rough and fast, and these, and especially in the like the quads and the doubles, they were that was where like most of the mistakes were happening. And you know those boats are like pushing that, you know they they pushing the the speed element so high, and then then coming into the rough section at the end, I think that was there was so many mistakes. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, before we go back to that, you know, talking about the first 500 and, and so on, that Dutch quad, what the heck, man? How do you yeah, crab was, in an Olympic final? <laughs> How do you crab and, and then get a world best time or Olympic best time and win an Olympic gold? Like, you've clocked the sport. Proper crab. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, the, the, it wasn't that far off the Italian mistake. And then he just recovered it like, effortlessly the way yeah. he gets the blade back and and gets back into the stroke is 
I mean, that is skills yeah, beyond. I, I think it's just a, you know, it's just a, another thing that shows the, the class that they those guys had. Because I mean, even you know, when we watched them, when we watched oh, them race in sure. 2019, they were definitely maybe, you know, I'm up there with the most dominant crews at the regatta. You know, I think about you know Zoe in the the and 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 Jackie in the lightweight women's double, and um, you know, those those two crews for me really stuck out as like the domineering crews at at the regatta. And yes, it's that. Uh, you know that uh, Dutchman squad. Yes, they just were rowing 100%. so well, so well. Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was it was so impressive. There's so many good moments from that regatta, like <laughs> the men's four. Like, man, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, there was that, lots of such crazy there. racing, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still a bit of fish. Yeah, it, and on the flip <laughs> side, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries. And our mistakes were <laughs> our mistakes were before the regatta, not uh, not during it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, yeah, you know, and we often talk about like the excitement of rowing, and you know, how do we bring more spectators in? And you know, I think if you didn't really, if you were just an Olympic fan and you turn on the the Olympics, you were going to have you were going to stick on rowing because there was so much excitement down the track and there was so much going on in each race. It was yeah, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it made for amazing viewing. It was super entertaining. But boy, I feel for some crews, man. Like, just no, it was. So... It was tough. I mean, like yeah. the the you know the light immense double from Norway. They fell in the water there. That was. Oh, man. That's that's always tough to see. You don't you don't want um you don't want that to happen in the Olympics. But yeah, yeah. Without, no, it was without brutal. mentioning any, in, yeah, without mentioning any in particular, it's just. It's just that's the brutal nature of sport when mm. you've got crews that are absolute class acts, absolute class acts, and you make one mistake and that's it. Mm. Done, dusted. It's sad. I think that's that's what the uh, like that's what the Olympics is like. The 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 quality of athletes going to the games. It feels like each time is higher and higher, and the, the margins for error are so small. Yeah, you cannot make a mistake. That's, that's like you cannot you cannot make a mistake. And that when the stakes are that high and, yeah. you know, when people are prepared as yeah. much as they have for the, for the games. And I think the, the added spice of COVID, you know, not having that racing, not having the, like, you know, rowing is so, it's fairly predictable a lot of the time because you have all these results to look back on and crews don't change speed that much. And, you know, there's never really that many variables uh, in the greater scheme of things. And, but with COVID not having so many un- unknowns, it, it really made the, the racing incredible massive part of it massive part of it um a big part of of sport and and rowing obviously is putting yourself in an environment that is similar if not the same as the one that you're going to be in when you need to perform Mm. and for the olympics like there's so many ways that you can try and simulate it one of them is physiologically anywhere in the world on a rowing machine in a boat you can put yourself in the hurt locker. You, you know, you're practicing for the last 500, you know, whatever. You, you can physiologically practice and prepare yourself in that way mentally to be in that place in the Olympics. The The next thing you can do, take it a step further, is you can race internationally. And the more you race internationally, the more confident you become in your ability to execute at an international regatta, which is great. The more confident you are, the more relaxed you are, the less likely there is to be mistakes. And mm. then, you know, the last level to that is the Olympics. 
and that's how many Olympics have you been to, right? How confident are you to execute at an Olympic Games? Because it's not a world champs. It's more than that. It's this once every four, in this case, five years that you get a shot to execute your your regatta. And, you know, there's already added stress in Olympic Games because of that. But, you know, we didn't have that middle step. We didn't have, a, you know, we missed a year and a half of racing. Mm, it's massive. You know, people it's didn't massive. even people didn't even have that. All we had was that first step. We, you know, rowers and, and athletes around the world. All we could fall back on was that we'd, you know, done some work and we knew what it was like to hurt. <laughs> and mm. they're turning up the the Olympic freaking games. Yeah, no, it's crazy. No, no, it's a yeah, it's a it's, it's a it's a big mentality, and I think uh, there's there's a sense that you, you you've spoken a lot about like maybe. Um, I don't know what the right word is. I I want to say downplaying the Olympics, but it's not it's not downplaying the Olympics. You know, when you're talking about how you guys want you want the medal, you didn't need it. It was like mm. managing, keeping that looseness, keeping the freeness of getting to the games. Because at the end of the day, it is just another two K race. Obviously, you know you have a lot of there's a circus attached to the race, but at, at the end of the day, you're still going to execute two thousand meters of racing. Um, and as in in the sure. final, you sure. guys really looked like you know you had the the mentality of like, okay, we, we racing here, but we also executing a performance that we know we can execute. Yeah. We, um, after that heat, we, we had a chat obviously. And we were like, we can't, we can't do what we're doing because, you know, we got beaten by a crow. We were, I think we were sitting at fourth on times after the heat. We had Germany and the Netherlands and the USA were in front of us. And, you know, I think GB, they, they'd had a, a bit of a rough heat as well. So we were expecting them to come up too. And yeah, we, we were like, we need to figure this out. And we, we sat down and we, we talked for so long, man. And we went back and forward. Everyone had input and we decided on, on how we were going to row. And, and part of it was that big swing. And we said, look, this is, this is more or less, we came down to two things and we're like, these are the, these two things that we're going to do. We, these are the words we use. We said, we need to live or die by these. Like this is what we, this is our best idea as to what's going to win us an Olympic final. And we're going to do it. And we're going to get 100% buy-in from every single person. And Sam's going to call it. And whenever he calls it, we are responding. And we will focus on executing and whatever happens, happens. Like, Mm. we knew we well, we didn't know no one knows but we were confident that if we did that it would put us in a really good place and you never know what's going to happen like we you know we, we didn't know if someone was going to beat us and the thing was and we acknowledged this was if we were to be beaten we we're going to be beaten by an exceptional crew and it would have just been hats off to them you know well yeah mm. yeah like putting out your best race is that's the goal you know, if you can put out your best race, then you'll be happy with the performance, regardless of whether a crew has not done something more to to take it from you. But then at least you've given them the the best run you could have possibly done. Um, and I think that's for always sure. what's uh, such a big takeaway for for sport or rowing. You know, just to be able to like be proud of what you've been been put up, what you've put out there, knowing that it's right at the 100%. peak of of what you can do. And it's hard, I think, to do in the eight because there's yeah. now and so many different moving pieces and there's, you know, eight different guys that need to all do that. And a big part of that is having the Cox speaking the same language that 
the rowers interpret. Like the, the, the definition really of good communication is that the message that is sent is the same message that is received. And when you're rowing as a rower, you know, if you hear something, you relate it to a feeling. And when there's eight guys, you've got eight variables and eight possibilities for misinterpretation of what's being sent by Sam. And so, you know, if Sam wants, if Sam wanted more effort or the Cox wants more effort off the front, just off the legs, you know, the wording needs to be in a way that every single athlete in the boat knows exactly what the the physical response is. And they need to know, you know, they need to have feelings associated to those words so that mm. when those words are said in an Olympic final, it's second nature. Yeah. And that was that was such a big part of our training was, you know, not just getting the feeling right, but having the right words so that when we're under pressure and Sam had to make some calls, whatever he said, all eight of us were firing on that call. And and what were some of the the calls down the the big calls down the track? <laughs> we changed it after the heat. Um, <laughs> we did change one of our big calls. Um, we, you know, just just for us, our our catch call was Hamish had, had come up with back to the water. So he wanted us to think that we we're going back to the water with our with our blades and and you know getting the blades boom in and on and that was a big part of of, of us for lucerne um we changed that after our heat we we decided that it was just making you know it had just evolved into something where our catch was getting a little bit sluggish so we were going back to the water but we weren't then getting on the legs quick enough we're mm -hmm. like yeah cool our catch is sharp but we're we, we're putting weight on the catch and we're making it harder for ourselves and so we we had a call where we were visualizing being on like an, an RP3 erg and we're visualizing the idea of coming in and then you just you just on it on the legs there's there's no extra movements you're just coming in and then boom you're, you're pumping the legs yeah and so yeah on the flywheel was one of our calls and that was a call that was used quite a bit in that in that olympic final was on the flywheel and the boys knew that that was right like we're coming in we're still back to the water but we you know it's a continuous movement we're moving as soon as we're in we're moving we're on the speed of the eight yeah, and the speed of the eight, <clears throat> I mean, that that's that's the hardest boat to get the, the connection in. And you have to be, I mean, especially, you know, Olympic final, your, your leg drive, you really have to connect as fast as you can because, you know, any, you know, any sort of uh, inches that you're missing is going to be, you know, compounded by the fact that the eight of you and, you know, we, you all need to be, you know, on the money for you guys to, to get the result. And, you know, looking, looking at the race and when I look at the race and see you guys, um, you know, watch that final. When I look at the point where you took the race by the scruff on the neck and took that gold medal, for me that was classic Kiwi style, third five hundred. And you know, it's something in the in the eights. You know, I mentioned it earlier. It's something in the eights you actually don't see too much about because your eights is really a front loaded event. You have to get up to speed. It's a, it's a you know it's a big boat. You've got to get up to speed and you got to like really, you know, put yourself out there. Whereas you know, you guys really started off the blocks with the pack and then. Coming through that 1K into the third 500, you know, you took, you really put yourself out there. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, how how you guys did that and what was the feelings, you know, going through that part of the race. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because you know, part of me is like, oh, because we put so much effort into our start. 
we put yeah. so much effort into it, man. <laughs> and like, I don't know what it was. Like the crew wasn't weak. Um, we had a good average erg in that boat. We had the strength. We just, we just couldn't, we just couldn't execute the start in a race. Like we'd done so many practice starts where we were getting the split of the eight below one ten. Like we'd we'd tip like a oh sorry no actually I, I think I, I think I made that up. I think we we're getting I think it was like one twelve was where we were getting to. Um and you know, we were kinda like, Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably about right. Um and then in the racing we were coming out three splits slower, which would have been the difference because it's not just three splits of peak speed you know like your speed comes up and then it tapers down so for that whole start sequence we would have been three splits behind for a good 200 meters um but yeah we you know we did our heat and i think the british sorry yeah the british and the dutch beat us out of the blocks in that heat and beat us to the 250 and we're just like ah that's our start that we put so much effort into and it's yeah. just it's just not it's just not paying off so we you know going into the next two races we recognized that we did still need to bring the fire for our start but we just doubled down on our strength and our strength was that rhythm and the fitness and our ergs that we had so we we really just had to stick to our guns and we were confident that the rhythm that we'd come onto for our rep and our final was a rhythm that would be able to challenge anyone, you know, the Germans, for the gold. We, I don't think there was any point where we were confident that we would win, or that you know, even that we that we could. Like, I think we we knew we were in with a chance, but realistically, we were expecting to be fighting for a bronze or maybe a silver medal. Um, mm. And that was we were racing with the conviction to go for that, and you know, it just so happened that we're like, man, like you know, we we started moving off the field. We, we had a good rep and we had some good chats after that. And we're like, what we did in that rep, we just need to do 1% more, yeah. literally 1% more and nothing else. We can't change anything else. The rhythm that we did in the rep, we said we'd live and die by it. And we've got to stick to that. We need 1% more. And that's it. And that was just exactly what we did. And I don't think it was that we pushed away around that K mark. I think that's just where you tend to see crews drop half a split to a split mm. and i think we i think we just held our speed going through yeah and no, no. You know, that was that was because we were on a rhythm that we were super comfortable in relatively relatively <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's that does make sense i think uh you know there's i mean there's definitely you know it was definitely the the Kiwi way of doing things, especially, you know, with, you know, with Hamish in the boat, we can, we can allude to his rowing and, and the pair with Eric, you know, they, they just kind of like they hit that speed that no one could touch ever. And that was just, you know, the middle, the middle K all the way through to the end, you know, they just held that one speed. And it's obviously, you know, in the final, you guys were just going out there and other crews were maybe settling down a little bit, you know, coming towards the end of the mm. second 500 and you guys just stayed on it and put yourself and that that's, that's seems what carried you over. I mean, Hamish and Eric were a whole, a whole new level, man. Like, they didn't have a fast start, but their their base speed was just so much higher than yeah. 99% of their competition. And they didn't fade on top of that, which is, you know, their typical race profile was push out a length, you know, that they'd get out to a length and a bit by the K, and then they would take all their, all their lead because yeah. they just didn't slow down. Yeah. Um, but... 
yeah, like with the eight, we just, yeah, just were on such a comfortable rhythm that we, that we could, that we, you know, like I said, relatively that we could hold and build towards the line. We were coming down the, the course at 37 strokes per minute in our heat. We came down at an average, I think of 42. Yeah. Like we were just flustered in that heat. And then, you know, mid race in our final, we were at 37, just being powerful and long. And it's, it's interesting for me to say that, you know, you guys maybe struggled out of blocks because when I looked at, you know, I watched a lot of the QE8 rowing and, you know, even before we did the interview with, with you, one of the one year that I remember watching the Kiwi 8 race and it just stuck in my mind just how amazing the racing was that year. It was actually 2015, um, watching guys race in, in the CERN, watching guys race at Egbelet at World Champs. And when I watched, you know, that that version of the Kiwi 8, like, you guys were flipping blitz out the blocks, eh? I mean, there were a lot of young athletes there in, the, in yeah. those. That that was an under 23-8 in, in a sense, you know. The the speed you guys had out the, the was, blocks yeah. was was insane. And I often find like the bigger eights were were catching you maybe in the last 500, 600 meters where, you, you know, you guys seem to maybe just struggle to hold that that, mm. that um, speed all the way to the line. But it's interesting to say that you you guys maybe – you know, struggled a little bit with the the start at the, the final because when I watched the young the young QE eight row, it was with the speed that you guys had out the start was phenomenal. I mean, I don't even know what you guys did it. I mean, what they did at under twenty threes must have been disgusting. Yeah, um, I I was in that tw- I was in that twenty fifteen eight, and thinking back to it, you, you're one hundred percent right. That was our typical race prof- profile: go absolute hell for leather and hold on. Yeah. Um. And and it worked until the fifteen hundred meter mark, like you saw in Egg Belette. Like we were challenging the Germans coming into five hundred to go. It was close though. I mean, it was. I mean, it, it just. I mean, I mean, it must burn you still watching that race at Egg Belette. But it was just you guys. was just too <laughs> too short of, uh, I, of the Dutch. Yeah, I watched it a couple of times, and I, I tend to turn it off at about two fifty to go. <laughs> that one hurts a little. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it does. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but like the reason why we burnt out, like for starters, the average age of that crew in 2015, I think it was 22. Yeah, it was 22 years old in 2015, and then in in Rio, I think it was 23. It was something like that. It might have even been a year younger. I was 21. My no, I was 20 myself at Egbelet. Yeah, I think I was always a year below the average age of that crew. So we were average age of 21 in Egbelet, 22 in Rio, yeah. and. That was it was just such it was an epic crew man it was young it was enthusiastic um and again we did a lot of start work um we were coached by Noel, uh, the great the great Noel donaldson yeah, yeah dono as you know you guys have, have talked with him recently haven't you yeah and and dono had this funny thing we, we did so much start work with him he used to say to tom and i in the bow so you know tom murray that i went on to do the pair with him and i were bow pair and Sean Kirkham was part of it as well in three seat. He used to challenge us and he, he used to say to me when I was in two seat, he was like, Mike, <laughs> my grandma can pull harder than you. I want to see you. I want to see you rip the side of the boat off. And as a 20 year old and an elite eight, I was like, sweet, that's Let's my job. It. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to do just that. And Tom got on board to, you know, just to, to balance it out with the bow pair. And he used to try and pull me around. So we were literally like in a, in a final trying to pull each other around. And Sean Kirkham later got on board and 
you know, inside joke, but that was how our, our bow three, we've got a little bow three thing. It's just the three of us and we've been really good mates since, but that was, that was how we got out of the blocks um, was just pure aggression and pure un, I guess, unrestrained, yeah, aggression towards the start. And we paid the price for it at the end of the race. That's what happened every single time, every single mm. time. A, we weren't, we weren't fit enough and strong enough to be able to back that up. But B, like we, we just went stupidly hard out of the blocks and just tried to hold on. Um, I'd like to think it was a bit more tactical this time round. Yeah. <laughs> and also we had, we did have more power in the boat um, on, you know, on the ergometer at least. Um, so this time around, like we, we, yeah, we just, we just stuck to our guns a bit more and, and doubled down on that, that rhythm through the middle. We, we, you know, like I said, we put effort into the start, but the majority of our effort was put into having a really good rhythm in the middle. So I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to go back because we just spoke about uh, Noel Donaldson and, we, you know, when he, when we chatted to him, he had this, he just spoke about, he said one of his favorite regattas that he'd ever been to and favorite races that he'd ever done was that uh, World Cup to the Lucerne World Cup in 2018. <laughs> when you guys, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd had the most nightmarish build up to this uh, regatta. Uh, both of you had broken bones. I think. Um, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, so just talk us through there. Uh, you know, I think it was a water ski accident, and you, you slipped in your <laughs> you your slipped in the kitchen house or? or something, and you busted <laughs> your wrist. There's, there's there's so many stories, um, and part of that was because, if I'm honest, Tom and I gave some well more me than Tom, um, but I, I gave some pretty misleading information about how I'd done it because. Um, <laughs> Hey, I didn't want the coaches being like, why were you doing that? <laughs> um, and, and B, it was just easier to let people make up stories. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, within, well, what happened was it was 2018, Jamie Hunter had just retired and he'd done the pair with Tom Murray in Sarasota in 2017. Um, and they got bronze. That was the yeah. year that Giuseppe and Matteo rode through Martin and Valent, um, you know, in that, in that iconic moment. Are faster the than the that last five hundred was faster than the last five hundred of the Aussie four. It was a one. Th- they did a one thirty in a pair for the last five hundred. I think the Aussie four had a one thirty one. It was a one thirty five hundred in a in a pair. Oh man! The last five hundred as well. That is ridiculous, and like you could see on Giuseppe's face, man. Like there's <laughs> through the whole the, all the years I or the, the years that I rode the pair with Tom, like. He, because he was in that race. I wasn't in that race. I was in the the eight for Sarasota. Um, Tom was always, always saying, "Man, don't count out the Italians." And like, I <laughs> get where that fear ever. came from. I get yeah. where that came from, and it was it was justified. Um, but yeah, that that year, so Jamie retired, and um, I came off. What did I have? I had tendonitis issues with both of my wrists, so I had surgery on both wrists in that 2017 year it was turbulent um and i just managed to get in for the eight didn't do the world cup tour and then ended up going from the eight into the pair with tom for the off season i was lucky enough to have that opportunity Mm. and we were going pretty well and we trialed we got in the pair and then i think it was three days later after that that trial um 
I was we, we I was cleaning. Uh, it was my parents' place. I was I was just up on the roof and I was cleaning out some gutters, and like I was being pretty safe. I, I was being pretty safe. Um, I was coming down because Tom and I were about to go in a mixed four with Kerry Gala and Grace Pendergast. We did that quite a bit that year. We rode a mixed four with them, and Kerry and Grace would sit in um, would sit in the stern pair, and Tom and I would just follow. And like those girls are just so smooth on the boat, man. Like that was why we did it. We just did it to learn from those girls because they they were just you know even even men rowing with women, like say what you want, but those girls were so skilled, man. We learned so much from them, and yeah, I and believe strong it. as well. It's strong as well. Um, so that was why we we're doing that. Anyway, I was cleaning the, I was cleaning the gutters, and I I was coming down like a like a wooden you know, shelter against the side of the house. And as I was coming yeah. down the wooden shelter um, to, to get to a ladder, the plank of wood that I was on pulled out from both ends. Oh, yes. That's and I just, fell for, I just fell three meters with a piece of wood and I landed on my wrist and just snapped the, you know, crushed the, the joint. Um, yes, yeah, so you must have been a, bleak, eh? After getting surgery on your wrist the year before, you fall oh, three meters man. on your wrist. Yeah, and la- yeah, and I was, I was just gutted, man. Like I knew as soon as I saw it, I was like, I jumped up and I had heaps of adrenaline, and I was like, oh, something's not right, something's not right. But like, I checked my like my hips and my legs, and I was like, nah, like they're all good. My back feels good, like that's okay because I landed in a sitting position. And I looked at my mm. left hand and I was like, no, nah, it's all good. Then I looked at my right and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. Um, and so I knew immediately what that meant for the rowing. I was like, that's that's probably not something that I'm going to recover from in time for touring. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of time in hospital for that. I spent, you know, I think it was like four or five days in hospital and surgery and whatnot. And while I was in there, Dono and Tom came in and they're like, look, um, you know, we've seen the x-rays. We know what it is. We're we're going to have to deselect you. And I was like, ah, I get it. I do get it. Yeah. And they selected Phil Wilson and Edda row with Tom because Tom had rode with them at, at the national champs and, and they were a good pair. And I think two days after they deselected me from that pair, Tom, yeah, we were at a, we were at a stag do. And, and this was, this was literally before, you know, there, there was no alcohol involved in either of these things, which is, which is the crazy thing. Is that Tom was out um, sea biscuiting, so he was on like an inflatable behind a boat. He was getting he was getting towed, and and he literally must have hit something in the water because you know he, he had adrenaline, but he was like you know as you do when you're doing a, a fun you know water sport like that, and he he just was like oh that kind of hurts, so he rolled off. And he looked at his toes, and they were pointing all over the place. They looked like <laughs> the letter K, you know, his toes, and <laughs> yeah, so so he he had to heal three of his toes that were dislocated and broken and you know his 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 body just didn't heal as well as as well as you'd hope and it took him about i think it was about six weeks for him to recover from that and it took me five and a half so we ended up getting back in the boat at about the same time and we we started rowing uh we we ended up taking out a parapet so we had pontoons under the riggers Oh, I've seen the picture. Why, I think. Why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Well, because I couldn't quite feather yet, so we had to row square blade. Oh shit! And and Tom couldn't get out onto his toes, so we rode half slide square blade for all of our training for a while. <laughs> that's that's the craziest thing I've heard in a while. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had to have the pontoons because, you know, A, Tom couldn't swim if we flipped. And B, like, we just weren't skilled enough and were rowing in such a weird way for so long that we needed it. Um, so we trained like that for, it was only about a week and a half. And then the World Cup tour came around. And I remember them saying to us, they're like, we're going to take you. You're not going to race the first World Cup, but we'll just see how you are for the second World Cup. Sorry, you're not going to race second, but we'll see how you are for third. And I was like, ah, oh. at this point, I, you know, I couldn't turn my wrist. It hurt too much. And it was my mm. inside wrist, my feathering wrist. And I was like, it's just, in my mind, I was like, ah, oh, we're not going to be able to race. Like, this is this is ridiculous. And we went over and Tom and I got to watch the second World Cup, which might I say, as a rower who'd never watched an international regatta, had only mm. performed, you know, had only been involved in them. It was epic. Yeah. Like, it's such a cool environment watching the regattas at at the lake yeah mm. um so yeah we, we got to we got to watch and then we were training as well we were going out rowing on the course and while we were rowing we didn't have the pontoons at this point we didn't have the the floaties on the side we were doing one lap square blade and one lap feather because my wrist would get too fatigued from feathering and oh. we just we were just doing the bundiest training man and then we we went on, we had two weeks after that World Cup and um, I think it was Mechelen, I think it was. Uh, I, can't, I can't actually remember, but we, we went and had a two-week training camp and, and the first week was spent kind of doing a lot of biking and I was doing a lot of running. Tom was doing some erging and we were kind of getting in. We try and we aimed for one row a day, but sometimes it was one every two days. And then the next week, it just kind of came right and um, we ended up hitting a full volume week and then, yeah, we went into that third World Cup and my first time racing the pair internationally and out of nowhere, we freaking, we won it. Yeah, that was <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, I, I didn't even know this, the whole story. I thought you guys had a phenomenal performance in in the CERN, but yeah, that is probably the wildest story I've heard going into to racing at a, a flipping the third yeah. the CERN World Cup as well. I mean, that is, that's, yeah. the, that's the big one too. It's not like uh, the, the ones before where there's a, bit of a mixed mismatch of uh, people entering with soon world cup is where all the yeah. big dogs come yeah the we, we didn't race the italians because i think i think giuseppe might have had an injury that year i don't remember um every yeah, yeah. Did. one every of the injuries yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and one of the croatian boys pulled out early as well um i think martin might have had a sore back so we yeah. didn't race either of those two the the world champ and the silver medalist from the year before but you know, we yeah we managed to pull off the win, um, and we raced against the Onfoy brothers. They sorry if I said that wrong. Um, they ended up you know beating us at World Champs, so we did something wrong in between the World Cup and World Champs. But frick, yeah, no, you should Cup. have broken your wrist again after Lucerne. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're onto something. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe the you know the when you guys got injured in that that funny period. Maybe that period only almost caught up to you by the time you got to world champs because you guys did seem like you know rowing in the pair you did seem to struggle a bit more and you know at the world champs just like looking at the progression that you guys did through the heats i mean the final it looked like it was your best performance i mean you guys were right in it maybe right until the end where it seemed to just get away from you a little bit a little bit there yeah yeah i mean we i think we just lost momentum the main thing was we lost momentum we we came back to NZ. Uh, that that year in Bulgaria was one of Ryan New Zealand's worst world champs. And yeah, flip oh, the eight. So it must have been devastating for the the guys in the oh, eight as well. 
men's eight, women's eight, like, you know, I don't think there was any one of our crews that was happy with their performance. Um, mm. And, you know, I think we only got, we got two medals, didn't we? Um, we got a, two silvers and a bronze. Um, so it was, it was pretty disappointing for everyone. Um, and there was some good, you know, some good questions asked after that as to why did the whole team uh, not perform at that regatta? And I think we, we solved a few issues. Um, I say issues, it didn't feel like we'd done anything wrong throughout the season. Like I think there was just yeah. a few small things like we, that year we typically stay over for the world cups and then stay and then go to world champs. And then we come back to NZ. I don't know how many Europeans and Americans would, would know quite how brutal that, that commute yeah. from New no, Zealand it's, to it's, Europe can be. Yeah. Um, and I think that that we, you know, coming back from Europe from the World Cup tour to be in New Zealand in the middle of winter rather than a European summer, um, I think that probably had quite a big impact on us. And mm. you know, it's it, it's something that we we consider a lot more seriously now when we when we're tour planning. Like 2019, we stayed over the whole time. Um, Tokyo, you know, we we were going to come back, um, but that was more. Uh, it was easier to, to decide upon because it was the t- same time zone pretty much to yes. New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, chat to us a bit about 2019 because, you know, that's, you know, that's when you, you and Tom really seemed to like hit your stride a bit in a pair. I mean, uh, the, you know, the silver medal performance at World Champs was, you know, that was a really good result there. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like the things you got right in 2018, you managed to carry that over. And um, yeah, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts about how, you know, how that 2019 World Champs went, you know, how the season was then. Yeah, gosh, it feels like an age ago now. Um, it does. Mm. feels like it was <laughs> so long ago. Mm. Yeah, it feels, yeah. Um, 2019, yeah, we, we just had a really good year of getting the physiological things right. We still had quite a few injuries and niggles throughout the season. Um, and my, I, I'm worse than Tom, but my training consistency was, was pretty bad for 2019. Um, but for missing, you know, when we missed sessions, sessions on the water, we made up on the land. And mm. we, like, we really got that physiology right. And we went into the world champs feeling fit, man. We felt really fit. And we we knew we could row it efficiently, but we were still a little bit like we, we came out of a massive hole going into that world champs and when we were in that hole we kinda we lost a little bit of confidence in our rhythm. Mm. And when we when we popped out of it we we came right. But you know, for a while there we were like, Ooh, how predictable you know, how predictable is our rhythm actually? Are we actually, you know, Mm. going to be able to mm. execute when we when we need to and as soon as we got fresh you know it, it came right and i expect that a lot of crews probably go through that experience um but yeah the main thing was was probably our our physiology going into that like we we worked like demons that year man mm. yeah no i mean physiology is i mean you know obviously Technique is is uh, the 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 cornerstone of the of the rowing, but you know physiology. Mm. I mean, we've we've spoken a lot about some some athletes that have got the most insane physiology, and that's that's often that what separates them from the rest of the world. And I think I feel like when you yeah. get to world champs, 
know, we've spoken about performances at World Cups and stuff. And I, I feel like when you get to World Champs after a full season of training, I think that's where, you know, it separates the people that manage to train super um, consistently, constantly getting rocking up to sessions and, uh, you know, getting getting the work done. And then maybe the others that haven't quite done the miles um, that, you know, everyone else has done. Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe it separates them. Maybe it doesn't, but it, it's definitely an advantage. Mm, like for I, sure. I think about one of the most consistent trainers that I know um, is probably Brooke Donahue from the women's double from New Zealand. Like probably, probably between her and Twig, like those two, they do not miss a beat. I, I think in 2019, like, yeah, Brooks training consists like she didn't miss a single session to injury or anything, mm. and you know turning up to compete like yeah, you know, for one you you've got the best possible physiology that you're going to get, and secondly yeah, you get so much confidence going into a competition knowing that you haven't missed a thing, so mm. much confidence. Yeah, and I mean you're just having that uh, that confidence that belief is is already you know half the job done and then i wanted to ask because now we're talking about the rest of the team and you know what is it must have been amazing i mean i know you've just come out of a, 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 a isolation uh returning back to new zealand but i mean new zealand had i mean you won the the rowing regatta on the medal table and you know you had absolutely almost perfect regatta um between the the team and uh yeah, I mean, what was the the vibe? Must have been just amazing in the in the actual team, and then coming back to to New Zealand, you know, what was what was that all like? Yeah, it was it was unreal, man. Um, <laughs> I think back to when we crossed the line, like, <laughs> you know, the guys were just like in disbelief. There's that, you know, the cameras looked at Sean Kirkham <laughs> for a bit, and he had his his glasses had been falling down his face throughout the race, and they were sitting on the end of his nose, and he's like looking around. Like he's what, lost. What just that? Like he doesn't know where he is. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, Phil Wilson, you know, with his with his uh, arms up, flexing at the end, and Bondi slapping the water, and Dan rattling his all. Like that was you know the emotion that you saw was the emotion that was there. It was like it was just unreal. Um, and one thing you know, one thing that really stood out to me um, you know, is was the sportsmanship of the Germans, like. I, I do really feel for those guys. You know, they they were so dominant and they were such a class act. They are such a class act and have been throughout the whole Olympic cycle. Um, and I and I feel I almost feel bad that we came in and did what we did. I mean, I wouldn't do it any other way. But like, mm. they were just they're such amazing athletes and have really shown how strong an eight can be for so long. And on top of that. You know, there's, there was a photo of us crossing the line, and I remember seeing this. Like, what, it was their bow or their two seat. He turned around moments after crossing the line and and did like a thumbs up to us. Like, yeah, <laughs> these guys, mm. uh, these guys are like the you know, they're class. such good sports. Yeah, so such a class act, and even on the podium, the way they compose themselves, like, man, we they're... find that a lot in 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 rowing, and like even when we, everyone we chat to, everyone like you know, we haven't had it in episode that we've recorded where we've like finished that being like yo that guy was a dick or you know um it's like everyone is just really down to earth and i mean i don't know maybe it's a part of the just the sport and how hard it is and you know you you have to be in the sport for the right reasons and maybe that just uh brings out the best of of people because 
we we really enjoyed you know you don't find that you don't find um people being uh you know as you say across the finish line and the same with you know in 2016 when when i crossed the finish line you know um uh hamish and, and eric they straight away thumbs up good race you know it's uh it's just that kind of you, attitude you I do think. yeah you do get that in ryan yeah which is I think so it's, awesome it's different like you you look at sports like um yeah you look at sports like 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 fighting like it it pays to have almost you know a borderline arrogant personality yeah. but you, you don't really get that and not just rowing but endurance sports hmm. like yes. you know it's I, I and I, I don't know what it is i don't know what it is it, it is cool like you, you do you get some really good people in the sport and you know i think a part of it you know this isn't to take away from any other sport every sport you know requires a full yeah, yes. it requires being a twenty-four hour athlete to be the best. But it, it, you know, just I think the lessons that you get from the sport, like you know, perseverance, consistency, you know, mm. teamwork, you know, that, and you know, as an endurance athlete, when you go in the hole, you go in the hole, man. You, you, you learn what you're made of. Um, yeah, maybe it's a bit being more. In those moments, it's like more focused so on be, yourself. Like you have to do you have to do the damage to yourself, yeah. you know, you, mm. you know, and then sure, like, yeah. A, yeah, it's, it's all internal. And, you know, if you can put out your best self, then you get the result that you want. Whereas, you know, if you miss that, you, you come a bit short. Mm. Absolutely. And on the lighter side as well, like you spend so many, so much time with your crewmates that if one of them yes. is a dick, <laughs> they, yeah. you know, it's, they're going to know. It's, it's, they're going to get, yeah, they're going to know. Yeah. So we, we, you know, which brings us to, the end of the episode and we we've got the quick fire questions but we've got a when we spoke to adam we did a bit of an extended um extended quick fire questions just speaking about the eight so you know the first one we wanted to know is who's the strongest person in the boat strongest in the boat um okay uh in the gym it's sean kirkham easily Mm. Um, hands down, he's the strongest. Uh, if you're talking lowest split on the erg, um, you know, it's, some of the guys might like to challenge me for that, but I would claim, oh, claim that. Nice. Nice. That's a big one for the eight <laughs> as well. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be between myself and Sean. And, you know, there's there's not much in it. There's a lot of the guys can can get, you know, comfortably under 110. Um, Dan Williamson's yeah, quite, pretty, pretty good there as well. Yeah. Um, when it comes to on the rowing machine, it's still Hamish. Yeah, I, I was. I, think, I wanted to know who you know if yeah, if, if he wasn't the if he wasn't the the one that was the the, the big man on the the ergo when it comes to the two k and whatnot. Mm. Okay, then the next yeah, he, one he got it. He got a yeah? yeah. Sorry, I was going to say yeah. the next one is yeah. who's the funniest in the in the team. <laughs> um, everyone's got their own different quirky humor but i would say that the funniest in the team is probably tom mcintosh mm. like oh, there's the always guys, a joker the guys he's always he's always joking and his jokes are, are always they're always tasteful and they're always yeah. well received um and like in the amish bond is oh yeah so amish bond is surprisingly witty as well man like the guy comes up with some pretty some pretty good one-liners every now and i'm then. sure i feel like he's got like yeah. quite a dry sense of humor he does but it's it's great yeah i'm sure <laughs> Yeah. Then I think we'll know this one, but who's the who trains the hardest in the team? Who's who puts in the most effort? Hmm. 
this is a hard one only because I like, mean everyone's putting in it all everyone's yeah. giving it everything but like okay it, it's hard like everyone has had their moments and I think that's part of our crew's success is everyone had their moments to show that they were seizing the opportunity to work hard um you know Hamish clearly had his moments you know he he definitely had his moments. You know, Tom McIntosh had his moments. Tom Murray really had his moments as well. Um, mm. You know, Sean had his moments. I had mine. Dan, Matt, um, Phil, e- like everyone had their moments. Even you yeah. know, even Sam had his moments where you're like, man, yeah, Sam's Sam's committing to this. This is so. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good environment to be in. Um, the next yeah. one, who was always late? <laughs> who was always late? Um, uh, Bondi, yeah, it was Bondi. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. And on that one, actually, I remember hearing some. Maybe it was just a, a, a myth or a, a rumor, but long uh, maybe in the previous Olympic cycle for 2016, apparently there was like a rule if you were late, you had to do a 2k Uber trial. <laughs> oh, this is that's amazing that you guys have heard that. That was a thing. We um, after 2015, we had a. It was such a young crew, you know, 21 average age. Um, you know, moving forward, that's you're just kids. Um, moving forward, we were like, we're, we're just getting a bit sick of people missing stuff. And, you know, it only takes one person to screw up once a month and everyone yeah, and doing that. Eight and sessions, got, and got, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so we set this rule that was if you, we synced all of our watches to the second and we said, if you are late by one second to the session, you do a 2K erg. And the intent behind the 2K erg was to go out for a sub six. Mm. and how did that and work where did you when did you would you do that like there at the at the session or would it be like you do, uh, it, you, you do it immediately after the session regardless <laughs> savage. so oh, yeah the, the worst one the worst one um for me was i was i'd been sick i just had a, i just had a cold and um we had some sponsors coming down and Dono messages me and he says, "Look, Mike, can you can you make it down? We're just we're going to go for a row. We'll keep it light. We just want to you know put on a show for the sponsors. Can you do that?" And I was like, mm, "Yeah, okay, I'm good for it." And I was I was I was sick, man. I was like in the peak of the cold, and you know what it's like when when you're a man and you get a cold, it beats you up. Like it beats you up. <laughs> I don't, there's nothing. Worse. I, don't, I don't know how chicks deal with it. Like if you're a dude with a cold, it's the pits. Yeah. And and I turned up and I was feeling dusty and did the oh, sorry i didn't turn up wind it back um i missed my alarm and i woke up to one of the boys calling me and the moment he called me i was like no you're not going to call me unless i'm late and yeah. so i was like no i'm late and so i got down and I, and I did the row and it was it wasn't a light row it was it was six <laughs> submax two k's and I got off the it. water and was, and the boys were like, go on, Mikey, get up there, get up on the erg. And I was like, you got to be kidding. And they're like, nah, rules are rules. And I was like, come on, boys. Just like, I'm sick. And they're like, nah. And I was like, oh, man. So I went up and part of, I, I, I love a good good bit of banter. And I, one of the boys was like, go on it. You got to go for sub six. And the, I, the erg was set up to go. And the last thing I said before my erg was, it's all good, bro. Sub six is easy for some of us. Yeah, and and naturally, I did a six oh one. Oh, that's still quite that impressive. Was, after, was, if you consider all the the moving factors. Ah, uh, yeah, but like, re- 
there could have been a hundred more moving factors. The fact that I'd said that I I, I still can't live it down. He brings it up yeah. all the time. It's, then the the last one for the eight is if you guys all had to get in the ring and fight, who is coming out on top? Man, I'm gonna say Tom Murray. I'm gonna say it. Yeah. Either that or Dark Horse Tony O'Connor, our coach. Like <laughs> the dude's Irish. Like he's I reckon he was he was raised on, on pub brawls. He's got something there that we don't know. He's so calm, <laughs> so calm. But I reckon if you if you push the right buttons, he'd lash out. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. No. And now he's gonna go, we'll rattle off our, our, our last few quick fire questions and we'll wrap it up. So these are, if you've listened to the show, you would have uh, heard them be- before. But if you could race any boat class at the games, which boat class would you be? It's funny. Um, no, if, I, if eight, I come back, I, yeah, if I, if I come back and I haven't decided yet, um, I would be interested in going back to the pier and, and trying to get that going again. Um, but honestly, my favorite boat class is the four. Um, it's like when you get a good four going, like yeah, oh, it's oh, it's amazing. It's it is good. It is epic. Yeah, um, yeah. No, the fours the fours a good race too. I mean, yeah, it's a good it's a good event to be part of. Um, the next one is if you could choose any three people from any time to put in the four, which three people would those be? From any time, yeah, any time, anywhere. You can interpret it how you wish. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, I would pick Hamish Bond because it's Hamish Bond, for starters. Yeah, I've um, said. And yeah, and then I would. Whew, this is a, this is a good question. I would pick um, probably probably Redgrave, just because I'd be interested in seeing. I've, I've never met the guy. I'd be interested in seeing what made him tick, mm. <laughs> and then and then. Secondly, I'd probably ask Noel Donaldson to jump in there as well, just because oh, I'd nice. want to see awesome. the thing go, to yeah. go up in flames and just see everyone get frustrated. It'd just be so funny. That's so <laughs> cool. And then, I mean, if you had to uh, put uh, Hamish, if we could have a live in a world where we could make these uh, boats happen, Hamish would be racing a lot. He would be in a lot of crews because nearly everyone chooses him. Mm. Oh, um, for sure, for sure. And and like he's elevated himself to a new status because everyone knows that he was the yeah. one that that pushed the eight into gear. And actually, then you would be able to, if you rode with Hamish and Redgrave, you could um, settle Jake's uh, debate because Jake said that uh, Hamish, said Hamish is better than Redgrave. And, and Lawrence, Lawrence doesn't mm. think no, Hamish no, is better I than... Said, no, I'm you not said sure. <laughs> it's time for you to stand to what you said. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good question. It is a good question. I mean, Redgrave has more medals. Um, but I'd say in a short space of time, Hamish has yeah. consistently beaten class like he, he's he's just dominated he's absolutely dominated for um, sure yeah it's i mean i don't know who i'd pick but you know that's that's just what you've got on both sides of the fence then the next question is what is your favorite rowing race that you uh, find yourself watching over and over um probably uh, hamish and eric's hate in london oh no one where they, they break the record yeah yeah, that one. Like, and not because they broke the record, but just because of how much they just, like, you could see it in the man. That was one of their few races where they absolutely gunned it. 
Like mm. that was them. That was them at what I would say was their best, and they showcased their best in that race. Mm. No, for hundred yeah. percent. I mean, that's, that was it's a it's a cool race to watch, man. Yeah, that was that was phenomenal. The next one is if you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change? Ah, static umpiring for every single race. Oh, done. <laughs> done. Easy. Every single race. That's Easy. it. Simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good change. That would be a banger. That would be a very good change. Then the question that all the, the school kids want to know is what is your 2K PB on the UG? <laughs> I'll tell you mine. I won't tell you anyone else's. Yeah. Mine's uh, 546. Nice. Oh, that's pretty good. We do have a ladder. We literally, oh, we have a ladder. We do oh. have a ladder. Flip. No, um, you're going to finish. I uh, know, actually. You're going to finish. Uh, you're going to just sneak into the top 10. Yeah. You're going to be, oh, I look think, at that. Uh, I'll take that. I think ninth ahead or so. Ahead of Chettle. Yeah, Borg. just ahead of Chettle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's an awesome place to be. No, yeah. that is a, that's a good place to be. And our last question is, if you could choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, which sport would you choose and why? Interesting question, considering the timing. Um, track cycling. Oh, I love track cycling. Have as you well. done? Have you done quite a, yeah. uh, a lot of that? Never. Well, at least. Um, but I'm. I am. It, it's one of my. It's one of the things I'm weighing up at the moment. I think. I think it could be cool, but yeah, there's there's so much to consider at this point, and yeah, I need I need a bit of time off first before I yeah. commit to anything. Mm. It's, it's one of idea. the. Sp- it's one of the sports that um, rowers have gone into. It's like the sport that people have done yeah. the most of, like changing, sure. rowing mm. to track cycling. That would be really cool. I also love watching it. And it's also one thing, something I would love to try. Cool. Well, awesome stuff. I think yeah, that's that... a wrap. Sorry, I only saw your message like a bit uh, oh, afterwards. That's why I said, that's why I, I told that's... you, let's start but, hustling it on. I know, but then I was like, cool, he's still going to go hard. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, we got to hustle it up. Yeah. Um, that's that's it, all good. No worries. And yeah, I mean, just thanks so much. Is there is there anything that uh, we didn't mention or anything that you want to say? Shout out to, to anyone listening or yeah, oh, before we wrap no, I mean, it up. Just, it goes without saying, but shout out to everyone that has supported myself and, and our crew along the way. Like mm. we stand at the top of a very tall pyramid and what you see is just the peak. Like There is layers upon layers of support beneath us and that hold us up. And, you know, our gold medal is their gold medal. Yeah, very much well said. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Michael, for coming on the show. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll probably get this. We'll probably get this episode out fairly soon, and awesome. we'll let you know when it's up. Thanks cool. very much. Well, hey, and if you ever want to talk in the future, let me know. This has been fun. Awesome. Well, sure, no, we'll, for sure. we'll definitely come knocking at some point in the future. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers. Cool. So that is a wrap for our Michael Break episode, and. I know that you guys are on the edge of your seat. You want some more. We had to cut it a bit short. You could hear at the end. He actually put a message on the on our um, on the, the the group there or on the Zoom call, you know, on the chat, and saying that he had to to hustle it up. And I only saw it a bit later, and then um, we had to kind of hustle through the the quick fire questions. But I mean, still, what a banger episode! How much knowledge Jake did Michael have? I couldn't believe how like in tune he was to to what kind of just how the the, the 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 art skill or the art of rowing. Yeah, no, for sure. And I thought uh, just listening to him talk about the racing in Tokyo, we probably could have had him on the, the episode where we wrapped up the, the racing, reviewed the racing that happened in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, no, Michael was awesome to chat to. And I think, yeah, he you, you can tell he's he's already reflected quite a bit on, on the journey. And 
Um, you know, we mentioned and we spoke about it. Like he's been, you know, he's been a part of that, you know, that part of that Kiwi A to legacy um, for a while. And you know, he did his he did his thing in the in the men's pair with uh, with Tom Murray. And what a move to get back behind the men's eight. But I mean, I love the the conversations that he had around, like the, you know, you know the roles that, especially the young guys brought to the team. You know, the belief, the enthusiasm, just the the backing of the eight. And I thought we we got a good sense of like, you know, how how to get it right. Like, what are the top crews doing that you know that comes down to race day and gets it right. And you know, they it wasn't uh, it's definitely not a straightforward journey, especially for the Kiwi eight and. You know, after going through the rep again, you know that's that's another another feature in itself is that they had to go through the rep, going through the rep, you know, getting things a little bit right and having an absolute bang of a performance um, in the final. But yeah, what an awesome interview with Michael. Yeah, I mean, it, it was already uh, such a big event and such a big um, win for New Zealand and uh, for their men's team to come away with the, the win in the eight and to see. Now to have that internal look, that 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 perspective from inside the boat was just made it so much more, I don't know, impressive and and real. So I'm definitely have to listen to that episode again, for sure, hundred percent. And yeah, I think uh, Michael will definitely pop in with Michael at some stage in the future. For uh, sure. Hopefully, we'll see him see him keep going. Yeah. Oh, and he's, yeah, maybe it's a different sport or something, but we'll definitely keep in touch. And yeah, just uh, share the show, guys. Tell your mates about it. And yeah, go and see us on uh, Instagram or message us wherever you want. And yeah, go look at the Patreon page. Uh, the patrons are that is rowing's peak. Peak. That's rowing's community peak of, of yeah. I Zenith. mean, we have just the knowledge on the Patreon group is ridiculous. You know, the we just chatted through the under twenty threes. Um, I mean, the junior world champs, you know, and and the under twenty three world champs, and it was just so impressive to to go and see how that all went down. Yeah. So patrons are absolute legends. Absolute legends. You couldn't you couldn't have said it any better. But yeah, I think uh, that's a wrap for us for this episode. Stay tuned. We're gonna try get a lot of episodes out in the in the coming weeks, and yeah, we're gonna have some big guests. Uh, telling us about their ex- their experience from uh, Tokyo 2021 for sure. Cheers, guys. We're out. Cheers. Should be good. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, one question: Are we recording? Are we recording video? No, no we're not. Don't worry about that. We we'll no. just have the video on. Right. Um, in which case, I should have been prepared, but I might go and grab a, a glass of wine if we're just doing a casual chat. I mean, <laughs> it was a casual chat, but I didn't think of that. Um, no, you can go. You is, that, go is that okay? Yeah, it's one hundred percent. You can I'll go be, get get whatever you want. Yeah, I'll be real quick, and then we'll we'll get comfy and and, and talk rowing for a bit. Yeah. No oh. worries. Sweet. All right, one sec. There's your phone. Sorry about that. My um, my flatmates, uh, a bunch of other athletes, and they just gave me stick saying, "Bro, you must be fucking boring. You're done." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's <laughs> amazing. Invested. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat>
What did he say he's doing? He's getting a glass of wine. Oh. Just to tell him about Adam Creek's fucking drinking the racing car. We should <laughs> a video for that. <coughs> yeah, fuck, this gave me some issue. <laughs> I fucking thought I would just quickly restart it. As I clicked the thing, I was like, oh, you idiot. <laughs> and then that's why I started the second why, recording. Why, what was it doing? Was it not plugged in? Something? No, no, it gave me an issue. Like it said, you stopped recording this side. That's whack. Just keep an eye on your phone for Charles, hey? Eh? 